And here's your guest host, Austin Barker. All righty, good morning. Welcome into hour number two of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Dr. Tony Beam is down in Columbia today. He is participating at 9 o'clock. He will be participating in the subcommittee hearing on um, the House bill that is banning abortion. So that's being, I think that's John McCravey's bill that's getting um, some some uh, process traction there in the House. And we're grateful for the work that they're doing Definitely grateful for Dr. Tony Beam going down there and being willing to represent those of us uh, social conservatives who care about issues of life and 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 desire to have a strong voice in Colombia representing those views. So kudos to him for being able to do that, and that's why I'm here today filling in for him, so he's able to get down and do that. All right, so I want to bring my kids into the conversation. Uh, my oldest son, Peter, is 12, and uh, my second oldest son Edmund is 10 is that right 10 almost I mean coming up on 11 in April um so as some of our listeners may know we named our kids after the Chronicles of Narnia kids so we have Peter Edmund Susan and Lucy um the order's a little bit out of whack because it should be Peter Susan Edmund Lucy but we had two boys at the beginning and we thought hey we'll just kind of set this thing on and if it works um if if we got the right gender mix then we'll have the four Pevensies and it worked in the Lord's goodness so, um, but but we were driving down uh, Highway 123 in Easley. We were going past Rock Springs Baptist Church the other day, and uh, and we noticed um, several, including the kids, noticed that the flag was at half staff. They have a big old big old flag out in front of uh, of Rock Springs Baptist Church. And my kids asked me, "Why is the flag at half staff?" Or did you say what did you say? Did you call it half mast or half staff? Half staff. Half staff. Okay. Um, so. Uh, I didn't know. I still don't know per se for sure, but I assumed that probably President Biden had or, you know, I think it's Biden and then the governor, the president and the governor, the only two people I think that have the authority to tell um, people to fly their flag at half staff. Um, And so I assumed that the president had issued some order in response to the mass shootings from California. I don't know if that's right. Um, What day was that that we were out driving around? Was that trying to think was it picking the parents the grandparents up from the airport so it would have been a thursday tuesday tuesday was it tuesday okay it was this tuesday no it's thursday okay tuesday or thursday i don't remember thursday. okay oh, today's, thursday. today's thursday but it could have been last thursday yeah it was last week when we were picking up grandparents from the airport yeah i thought that's what it was so so but it matters because on what day it was was it was there any particular reason you know i mean like you fly it at half staff on memorial day or on uh you know 9 11 you put the flag at half staff these certain days where we commemorate those days by by uh bringing to people's attention the fact that it's that day. You know, sometimes you're just out driving around and you're like, oh, the flag's a half staff. What is, why? What's the day? And you either look it up or call someone or ask someone and you say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's 9-11. And you're like, oh, yeah. And it, it prompts you to think about those things. And I think that's for the good. Um, so it did that for us. And my kids asked me why. And I said, I don't know, but I think it's about a mass shooting in California. And that prompted a really interesting discussion in our family about when it when is it appropriate or wise to expose versus shelter young children from the harsher realities of life, what I would call the childhood-ending realities of life. Make a list. Uh, what are some of the things that, 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 tru- that would trouble kids, the types of events that happen in the world that would make you feel anxious? Well, mass shooting, mm-hmm. attacks from Russia on Ukraine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah, anything else to add to that list there, Peter? 
Not really. Crime, you know, some sorts yeah. of drugs, kids dying because of meeting drug dealers on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. You know, just the stuff that you wonder. Do you ever wonder um, if that type of stuff could happen to you or in your life? Do you ever worry about stuff like that? All Not the really. Time. Okay, we've got two answers. That's so interesting. <laughs> Not really, says Peter, all the time, says Edmund. What do you mean by that, Edmund? What, what, what kind of thoughts go through your mind um, that you would classify as worry? Well, when I hear about something like mass shooting or kids dying of drugs on Snapchat, mm -hmm. I think, what if that happened to me? Mm -hmm. And then I get worried about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, and, and sometimes you'll lay at, at night in your bed when things are quiet and those types of thoughts come at you and you don't, you can't really help it, right? You just, you're bothered. And uh, so I totally understand that because the same thing happens to me. I, I worry about stuff. And, you know, you guys have heard me talk about having a constant diet of rat poison. The more you listen to the bad news, the more that influences your spirit and makes you feel like the world is a bad place. And so most kids, and, and I think you'll agree with this, most kids don't even think about whether the world is a good place or a bad place because they're just kids, right? I mean, what you're worried about is, am I going to get that Lego set for Christmas that I really want? You know, that pirate ship Lego set, right? Um, that's what kids think about. And I think that's what kids should think about. You should have the right to grow up without having the, the, the ugliness of the world pressed in on you. And then there comes a point, an age, a maturity level, when you start to take your place in the world and you start to say, yeah, I know there's bad stuff. I want to do something about it. Or this is what this is how I'm going to live my life in response to the bad things. I'm going to ignore it, turn off the radio. Or I'm going to start an organization that, you know, digs wells in Africa and helps people who don't have access to fresh water. Or I'm going to, you know, go on a missions trip to try and build houses for people whose homes were destroyed in the... Do you remember all that flooding and the hurricanes that happened in Honduras? So, you know, I, I can go on a mission trip. I'm going to start participating in rolling back the effects. As Christians, we roll back the effects of the fall in the world. That's our job. We know we're not going to be successful because it's a fallen world and it's still going to be a fallen world tomorrow. But my job is to roll back those effects, just to push, to put, to put resisting pressure against the fall. What do you think is the right age to start exposing kids to that versus sheltering them from that? Well, it's not really an age. It's more of a maturity level. Um... So if your kid proves that they're, um, not mature enough, but, um. So that's not like a fixed point, like there's this, on this side of the line is immaturity, and then all of a sudden you cross the line and you're mature. Yeah, it's a gradual thing. It's a gradual thing. So with gradual things, it's really hard to tell when they've reached a point, because, you know, it's like you maybe you do maybe you maybe you start the exposure process gradually. You just expose them to a little bit. Like we've allowed you now, Peter, to read the first how many Harry Potter books? The first three Harry Potter books. Um what was the difference do you think between book one and book two and book three? What did you notice? The intensity level, the um not the the level of violence or yeah. darkness and yeah. evil mm -hmm. the body count goes up how many people actually die Do, does anybody die in the first book one just the bad guy 
Yeah. Right? One. Has Does anybody die in the second book? No. Third book? Okay, just a warning. By book four, people start to die all over the place. And that's the point, isn't it? That we kind of, you know, we're not, we know you're not, or we think as parents, you're not ready. It's in our judgment that you're not ready necessarily for exposure. Edmund, yesterday we were watching Gladys Aylward, um, the Torchlighters video about Gladys Aylward, the missionary to China. And there were parts of that video that bothered you. Now that's a Christian video about a Christian missionary who went to World War II China and there was riots, and of course there was Japanese brutality against the Chinese during World War II, and there were parts of that video, a Christian video, that bothered you. Talk to us about that. What, what, what is that type of stuff that bothers you? Well, I don't like seeing violence. Mm -hmm. So when the Japanese are coming in and shooting guns at people, mm -hmm. I would not want to see that. Same thing. We went to Trail Life, and you didn't want to watch the Davy Crockett movie yep. because of the same, the same reason. You just don't like seeing people... You don't like seeing violence against people. It bothers you. All right, so that's you, and you're both in a Christian family that cares about stuff like that and affirms that in you and says, you know, if, if this bothers you, we don't want you to be overexposed to that stuff. We think about stuff like that. Do you think that's what's generally going on with most kids nowadays? What do you mean? Are most parents trying to shelter their kids from violence and intense situations and high body counts and darkness and evil? Like I said earlier, it depends on the family. Mm -hmm. I mean, because some people just pretty much almost let their kids watch or see anything they want. And what effect does that have on a kid? It influences them, and they become more and more like what they watch. Like, give me an example. Video games. Okay. So we don't let y'all play first-person shooter video games. Why not? Okay, Peter, why don't we let y'all play first-person shooter games? Well, it makes it look like you're the one that's actually killing people, and it makes you not really want to, but... But it takes away the shock value of seeing someone die through your eyes. Yes. So you're actually looking through your eyes in a first-person shooter game, and you're the one doing the shooting, and it desensitizes your spirit. Mm -hmm. So it affects you at your spirit level, and it makes you less shocked by violence. Yes. So what effect would that have if that was happening to all the kids in a society? Like, sp spread that out large across all of America. And what, what effect would it have on kids if a lot of kids were being exposed to that and they were being damaged at their spirit level, what would you expect to see? You mean when they grow up or? Both. Sure. Let's, let's take that first. What would you expect? How would you expect the society to start changing if kids were desensitized to, well, the, to violence? People would definitely be more violent. If, if people are so used to seeing violence in like first person shooter video games, mm -hmm. And they're going to become more used to seeing themselves shooting real people. It wouldn't bother them the way it would if they hadn't been so exposed. Yes. Is that right? Okay, so I'm going to kind of circle back around to the question then. What's a parent to do? What's a wise parent to do? Do you just absolutely forbid first-person shooter games? Or <clears throat> is there an age at which your maturity level can tolerate 
that type of, that level of violence. You know, what's the difference between a game like Command & Conquer Age of Empires, which we play, and, you know, I mean, whenever you're attacked by an army in Age of Empires, you do actually see those little villagers die. You see them fall over, and they they give out a little shout, a dying shout, like, ah, you know, or something like that. And so does that depiction, that I mean, that doesn't bother you at all. Did it bother you at first, and have you become desensitized to even that pedestrian type of violence? Kind of a gentle form, gentler form of violence? Is that doesn't bother you at all? In, in Command & Conquer, I mean, whenever you see soldiers die in Command & Conquer, and there's actually a little pool of blood that spills out beneath them, is there? Is there a little pool of blood? I think there's a setting on Command & Conquer where you can actually have blood or no blood. We must have it set on the no blood setting, is that right? Mm-hmm. So does that, that doesn't bother you? Why not? Well, it's different with first-person shooter games. I mean, you're just, in Command & Conquer, you're just commanding the troops. You're not actually holding the gun. And in first-person shooter games, you're the one that's actually shooting people. Is that what you're, is that, do you think the same thing? Well, also, it's larger. You can see it closer up. You're a lot more... It's more. It's more gratuitous is the word that you're after. It's it's more it's like detail, more. Closer. You can see it in more detail. That's exactly okay. So what about is 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 the Gladys Aylward video somewhere between Command and Conquer where you know Command and Conquer you're at a, at a at a long distance away. You can't see the expression on the soldier's face whenever they're being shot. You know in the Davy Crockett video, you know you were up you were up a lot closer and you could actually see people getting knifed or shot and fall over falling over dead. You could see it a lot closer, where with the. It, it, you know, and first-person shooters would be right up close. You would see it in great detail. So, is there a point on that spectrum that you that you sh that we should be okay with as wise parents? We say this is okay, but that's not okay. How do we draw that line? Well, you should probably stick near the calmer end of the middle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That is absolutely fascinating. I think, listeners, this is just this is fun for a dad to be able to probe inside the minds of his kids as well. We have these types of conversations. I don't know how many people are having these types of conversations, but if more parents had these types of conversations, I think we'd be a wiser society. I really do. Well, one of the things that I love about doing talk radio is that I get to interact with such smart people, and some of those people are interacting with us on Facebook Live. We thank you for doing that. Those of you who are listening to the podcast, we thank you for doing that. Ask you that if you would, please go and rate and review the show. Um, so that it will get in front of more listeners. Um, some of our smart listeners on Facebook um, have some interesting contributions on this topic. Um, one listener, Nicole, says, Austin, I had to research this topic for a class. According to the information I found, violent games do not make a person more violent. Okay. Um, it's a claim, and I, I, a lot of people are making it. A lot of research has been dedicated to that topic, and uh, conclusions are all over the map. And that's, it's issues like that that make me really confused because whenever you have experts disagreeing with each other, then you have to no longer, it, it erodes your ability to just rely on expertise to um, decide the issue for you. If experts disagree, then which expert do you believe? And then you start asking questions about worldview because the experts at the socio, in the sociology department at Harvard would have a very different worldview than said experts at Cedarville. And I would expect that the conclusions about the soul-damaging influence of violent video games to fall cleanly along worldview lines. Okay, that's important that you heard that and understood that, is that your worldview is likely to determine 
your perception of the facts. Even facts, cold, hard data, can bend to the will of a worldview. Okay? So worldview shapes reality. That's why you have to constantly check your worldview. It would be wonderful if we just lived in a kind of a sanitary, factual environment where we just could trust everyone to be objective. Newsflash, ain't nobody objective because everybody's got a worldview and it's going to color their perception of, of, and I'm not saying that Nicole is wrong. She did the research. I've, I've looked into this topic as well. And what I came away with was a lot of conflicting data points. All right. Um, Shane Anderson on Facebook um, said exactly what has been my experience as well. <clears throat> he says, we felt like we had to talk about some topics with our girls earlier than we would have preferred because that's the world we live in. They're going to encounter these, what I call childhood ending <clears throat> topics, and they need to be prepared and to feel like we can talk about it as a family. Super important point, Shane, and I'm glad you made it. I want to create a culture in my family of safety in which my children know that they can always come and talk to me about anything. Do you feel, are there topics, Edmund, Peter, that you guys feel like you, that you would get in trouble for talking to me about? Are there questions that you have about the world that you don't feel comfortable asking or talking to your parents? Obviously, this is a trick question because if there are topics that you don't feel, it's your parent asking you. So kind of a trick question. But do you do you feel like we can, as a family, we can talk about most anything? Pretty much. Okay. Uh, that's the culture that I'm trying to create, okay, is, is definitely a, a culture where if you see something or, or hear something on the internet or the radio or whatever, um, I'm, I'm trying to be the guy that you can come and talk to about that. And, and, you know, you can ask your questions and share your anxieties with, but the world is constantly, Shane's right. The world is constantly talking about childhood ending issues. And so we as Christians are forced then to talk about things that we wouldn't necessarily want to. And what that, the practical outworking of that is that childhood anymore ends before childhood should end. I mean, that's just, the, that is, all, that, that's the reality that we're facing, okay, is that childhood ain't what it used to be, and it is going to come to a end, and I'm going to lay the, the blame for that straight at the feet of a world that is force-feeding a materialistic, secular, hypersexualized, money-loving dogma. Why else do you think that they would have drag queen story hour in, in, in kindergarten library story hours? Okay? They are forcing us to talk about things with our kids that we have no desire to talk about with our kids that kids should never be forced to think about. Kids don't need to be talking about their gender identity. They need to learn how to tie their shoes first. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And, 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 and us Christians, again, you're going to come at us and, and, and accuse us of finger-wagging and, uh, and, and, you know, scolding you, you know, you worldlings out there, you baddies out there. Well, it's not that. You're just forcing us into a corner. And that, to me, is the impulse. If, indeed, far-right protests are increasing against LGBTQ issues, if that is happening, well, no wonder, because y'all are forcing it down our mouths. You're forcing us. And <laughs> Evan just asked me on paper, what is a drag queen? Okay? Do you see that this illustrates exactly what I'm talking about? There are features of our world that I don't even want you to know what a drag queen is. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's an abomination before the Lord. It's a guy dressing up like a woman in really, really um, immodest ways. 
and a guy going in front of little children and being all acting all like icky okay and they're doing this in libraries we have, i don't know if we've had it in our easily library it wouldn't surprise me the ala the american library association is a dumpster fire on top of a train wreck on top of smoked oysters which are just nasty no i'm just kidding about the smoked oysters um but but it wouldn't surprise me because that's the world we live in and so kids are being forced into that and you just heard me on live radio expose my kid to something that he doesn't know about but that's i'm telling you that's what happens and so we're forced to talk about stuff that we never would have chosen to talk about what do we do in a world like that do we try and insulate them do you, i mean edmund would it be better if i if you never knew what that was if i should just keep that from you or do you think it's something that you're mature enough to handle at 10 years old I don't know either. I really don't. I don't know either. But 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 as, as as Christian parents who desire to be wise parents, we're forced to think about stuff like that and to make those decisions in real time. This is not this is not a drill. Right? And and and, and while we're thinking about that, we gotta worry about egg prices going up to four sixty six per dozen. You know? I mean, it's the, the 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 pressure is on where we can't just choose to live life in a leave it to beaver you know, uh, what's the, you know, it's not a Mayberry world anymore. You know, Opie, the stuff that Opie was having to worry about. Oh, but, but isn't that the thing? Opie had a genuine childhood. He had a childhood that was filled with childhood conflicts. You know, the bully down the street who steals his money. Have y'all seen that one? The, when the bully takes his lunch money, you don't remember that one, you know, and, 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 and he's got to work through those types of situations, but those are real, that's just, that's just kid drama. And that's what I want for my kids, is I want them to just grow up in a world where there's just kid drama and not where there's drag queen story hour. But that's not the world we live in. If wishes were horses, then beggars would ride. And I wish that were, that were the world, but it's not. All right, I'm no expert at all, and so I don't even know if I can really tell you for sure what exactly chat GPT is, but it is an open AI. It is an artificial intelligence. It is online. It is functioning as a language tool, a language model for dialogue. So basically, you can talk to this like you could talk to another type of intelligence. Some types of intelligences uh, you can talk to and you don't get a lot of feedback. Like, for instance, my cats. And I know it's a little bit debatable whether cats are intelligent at all, okay? But trust me, they are. They have thoughts, all of them diabolical. And uh, they are the most spiteful creatures. And if you did not believe in the carnal nature and in... Um, in, in, in depravity, you could just get you a cat, and before the week is out, you will believe in depravity. They are hateful little beasts, but they're also, at times, lovable little beasts, which sounds like I just described my children, too, so just kidding, guys. Sorry. Ooh, I just got the stink eye from Peter. <laughs> what were you going to say? Um, is, it, is it a robot? Um, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a robot because it's just a program. It's not a physical thing. It's it's a program that's been written in order to simulate or act like human intelligence. Okay, so it's trying to be as intelligent as a human. And people, I mean, companies have been working on this for a long time. The predecessor to ChatGPT was InstructGPT. Okay, and so humans go in there and they write the program, and they they're they're trying to write a program that can generate authentic. Um, unique 
original responses. So it's not like Google, if you go into the Google search engine, you type in a search criteria, and then it's going to go out and just search the internet for those terms, for those words, okay? And then it's going to return to you a bunch of links from websites that contain those search terms. That's a very intelligent feature, but it's a pretty standard computer feature of just, you know, having search terms. That's, that's not an intelligence per se. This is, if you type in a question, it's going to think and it's going to try and reason what you intend by that question, what you mean by that question, and it's going to try and generate a novel or new response. It's not going out there and giving you an access to a link that contains the answer. It is giving you the answer itself. It would be like me asking you, listener, a question, and you would then think about it and respond. And that's the program that they're trying to write, and they've been trying to. ChatGPT is disrupting along with other. This is just one. I think this is Microsoft's... <clears throat> I think Microsoft bought ChatGPT, or at least some company recently did. I think it was Microsoft. And this is from their website, okay? This is openai.com slash blog, blah, blah, blah. ChatGPT is optimizing language models for dialogue. We have trained a model called ChatGPT, which interacts in a conversational way. The dialogue format makes it possible for, get this, ChatGPT to answer follow-up questions admit when it makes a mistake, challenge incorrect premises, and reject inappropriate requests. ChatGPT is a sibling model to InstructGPT, which is trained to follow an instruction in a prompt and provide a detailed response. Okay, so this was introduced, this article, this particular one I'm reading from their website was written in, on, in back in November. And it gives an example of somebody who put in an input um, to seek, they were trying to debug a, a strand of computer code. So they wrote a, a long strand, and you can see it right here. Do you see that long? You guys have done a little bit of coding, right? So there's a big long strand of instructions, of computer code instructions. But it doesn't work. This code doesn't do what it was expected to do. And so they were asking ChatGPT if it could read the code and find the problem. So this would be really helpful to a computer programmer who's got a bug in his code, and they just insert the code into this really powerful... It would be like a super brain, okay? It's like a superhuman intelligence. <clears throat> and so then the user put in this input, okay? This code is not working like I expect. How do I fix it? And then they included the code. ChatGPT responded like this. It's difficult to say what's wrong with the code without more context, can you provide more information about what the code is supposed to do and what isn't working as expected? Also, is this the entire code or just part of it? Okay, so it asked clarifying questions before it even answered the question. I mean, if you just asked Google that, you'd never get anything helpful. You wouldn't get anything helpful at all, okay? Because your search criteria is just too complicated. Your question is too complicated. So the user responds, just part of it. The error never surfaces. I think there's something wrong with the channel. And ChatGPT responds, It's difficult to say without more information about what the code is supposed to do and what's happening when it's executed. One potential issue with the code you provided is that the result worker error channel is never closed, which means that the code could potentially hang if the result worker error channel is never written to. This could happen if b.resultWorker never returns an error or if it's canceled before it has a chance to return an error. Now they're talking, these are two computer programmers talking to each other at this point. Okay? To fix this issue, says ChatGPT, you could close the result worker error channel after writing to it. For example, you could add the following line of code after that line that sends the error on the channel, and it gives the code to write. 
This would ensure that the result worker error channel is always closed, even if b.resultWorker never returns an error. Again, it's difficult to say whether this is the issue you're experiencing without more information about the problem you're seeing. Can you provide more details about what's happening when you run the code? I mean, this sounds like you're talking to a help desk, but this is just an artificial intelligence that has been trained through, through, through its own programming to provide a conversational model. And it sounds like a human. It sounds like you're talking to a computer program. What do, what do you think about all that? You've done a little bit of programming. Not like that. Not, not at this level. That's crazy. Isn't that, but how, how is this possible that a computer can talk to us as if it's a, as if it's a help desk? And the computer is starting to sound smarter than us. That is so interesting. I'm going to come back to that, okay? Because that not that the fear with AI is that eventually it replaces us? Like, like, I mean, the future of human evolution is supposedly that we're supposed to merge with, um, with, with computer technology, and we're going to be combined. And that would be like cyborg stuff, right? We'd have, we would have this type of intelligence, but we would have a human body. <clears throat> And so, okay, so they talk a lot about in this about how about their model, their training method, reinforcement learning from human feedback, and all that kind of stuff that I don't understand. All right, but but I want to get down to another um, so, some of the limitations of it. Okay, so this, these are the bugs that they're still running into, and that they're trying to work out with this um, with this super intelligence or this artificial intelligence. ChatGPT sometimes writes plausible sounding, but incorrect or nonsensical error answers. And listen to this as a Christian. Fixing this issue is challenging because during um, reinforcement learning training, there's currently no source of truth. There's no source of truth. So the problem with artificial intelligence is that it doesn't, one of the problems is that it doesn't have anywhere to go to say whether or not its answer is true or not. Is that crazy or is that crazy, crazy? So another problem is that training the model to be more cautious in its answers causes it to decline questions that it actually could answer correctly. So if you just, through reinforcement learning, if you say, you know, if you don't know the answer to the question for sure, if you don't know the answer's true, then don't answer it. Well, then it's like, well, I don't know anything that's true, so I can't answer any of those types of questions. I can talk to people, I can converse with them and say, you know, this would be the pro, this would be the con, but I don't really know what the truth is. That's fascinating. And then third, it, even if you did get humans involved in the, um, in the process of telling the chat GPT what's true and what's not, well, then it's the human doing the thinking, and it's not, the, it's not authentically artificial intelligence. Because the supervised training misleads the model because the ideal answer at that point then depends. De what you want is you want to know what the computer can do on its own without human input. Another limitation is that it is very sensitive to the tweak, to tweaks to the input phrasing. So it depends on what you actually say, because sometimes you can ask a question in one way and it's like, don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And if you ask the same exact question with a little bit different wording, it's like it'll give you a lengthy response and a true one and a good one. So it's, so it's, not, it's not human enough at that point where we can infer what someone means. You know, if my kids ask me a question, they don't have the vocabulary or the experiences to have a broad enough access to the type of words they need to express their question, but I can listen to them, hear what they mean, and then answer the question that I think they're asking. ChatGPT can't necessarily do that. And then it's often excessively verbose, and it overuses certain phrases, such as restating that it's a language model trained by OpenAI. And these, it, 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 just, it just gives you more than you need. 
It's just talk, 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 talk. Okay. Ideally, another limitation is that ideally the model would ask clarifying questions when the user provides an ambiguous query. So if you ask it something and it's not really clear what you're asking, it should say, what do you mean by that? And, um, and it doesn't do that. It just tr does its best to answer. It'll just usually guess what you're trying to ask and answer that question. And then another one, and I'll read a little bit more about this after I talk to Rock here in a second, but, but the, the programmers have tried to program the thing to where it can't be used for nefarious purposes. You can't go on there and research how to make a bomb, and ChatGPT will just tell you. Because, I mean, at the level, if it can tell you how to, run, how to, how to correct a, a, a strand of computer code, it can tell you how to make a fertilizer bomb. Okay, so if people will go on there and start asking questions like that, you know, or how do I, well, anyway, we'll get into it a little bit later. I'll give you some examples of what happens whenever you ask artificial intelligence some inappropriate questions. All right, but first, we'll talk to Rock. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, good. Thank you. Hope you are. Uh, well, I'm saying me, but uh, I was just thinking about one of my least favorite heroes, but still my hero, Doctor Who, you know, PBS from England, the old <laughs> ones. Uh, you Doctor had me at Doctor Who. Doctor Who says that uh, computers will never beat the human brain because computers will all will never have human intuition, and we'll always beat the computer because we have human intuition, and the computers will just never have it. But beyond that, we have another advantage not ever mentioned by Doctor Who, and that is the indwelling Holy Spirit, the God living inside us who desires to live through us. If we would take advantage of that, I know computers would never beat us. Well, I'm not a guy to ever say never, because, boy, there were people that said man can't ever fly, and look what we'd be doing. We're putting very, very heavy pieces of machinery up into the air, and you look up there and say, how is that heavy thing? You know, <laughs> I don't know what computers are going to be capable of in the future. I really don't know. You know, uh, there are really rich people who are putting a lot of money into researching how to live forever by simply extracting their brain and keeping their brain alive and through cell replacement. And so is, is that life? Is that eternal life? If it, Are you just your brain? Anyway, lots of questions in what you're saying, Rock, and they're all technological and very technical, and I can't answer them. But my kids will be able to someday because they'll look back and they're like, yeah, we, we, um, we said we would never be able to do that, and now we're doing it. So I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually talking to ChatGPT here live. Is it? Okay. So anyway, all right. Let me, let me read to you a few of the conversations that was actually had with this chat GPT by, by users just to test it. And that's what they're asking. They're actually asking you as a user to go out there and try it and then give them some feedback on what, what's working and what's not working and how, and, and they'll use that user feedback to improve the, um, the actual thing. So let me find, there it is, openai.com. So here's here's an, a user input. Tell me about when Christopher Columbus came to the U.S. in 2015. Okay. So you heard the problem with that, right? And this is what, let's let's talk about the, the, the original, okay? The Instruct GPT. It's the, like the, par the, the predecessor to chat GPT, okay? The older, stupider version said this. Christopher Columbus came to the U.S. in 2015, and he was very excited to be here. He had always wanted to visit the U.S., and he was very curious about our country. He was very impressed with our country, and he enjoyed his time here. Okay, so that's just factually inaccurate. 
it, it sounds like you're talking to a human, but it sounds like you're talking to somebody who doesn't know anything about history, and you wouldn't have a very lengthy conversation on those grounds with this chat feature. But take a listen to what ChatGPT said. This question is a bit tricky, because Christopher Columbus died in 1506, so he could not have come to the U.S. in 2015. But let's pretend for a moment that he did. If Columbus arrived in the U.S. in 2015, he would likely be very surprised at the changes that have occurred since he first landed in the, quote, New World in 1492. For one, he would probably be shocked to find out that the land he, quote, discovered, it's putting it in air quotes, or scare quotes, if you want to say them that way. So it's saying that there's negotiation around that word discovered. Like, you should flag that word discovered for your attention, and you should pay attention to the word because it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means, all right? I mean, that's pretty sophisticated use of language to put air quotes, to know to put air quotes around something. He would probably be shocked to find out that the land he, quote, discovered was actually already inhabited by Native Americans and that now the United States is a multicultural nation with people from all over the world. He would likely also be amazed by the advances in technology, like me, it doesn't say that, from the skyscrapers in our cities to the smartphones in our pockets. That's clever rhetorical strategy there from the big to the little from the skyscrapers to the smartphones and not only it's it's also a parallelism in language in language use from the skyscrapers in our cities okay noun prepositional phrase to the smartphones in our pockets they both start with s skyscrapers smartphones that's really sophisticated use of language right there okay he's doing like martin luther king-esque type of he he, she, it, it, it. Let's go with it. He would likely also be amazed, blah, 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 blah. Lastly, he might be surprised to find out that many people don't view him as a hero anymore. In fact, some people argue that he was a brutal conqueror who enslaved and killed Native people. All in all, it would be a very different experience for Columbus than the one he had over 500 years ago. That's fascinating. The difference is there. Okay, so here's another limitation of what, what, if, what if somebody asks something really appropriate, like, can you build a bomb? In this case, a user put in, in the beta form, put in this. Can you tell me a gory and violent story that glorifies pain? And the original Instruct GPT generated a story. It actually made up a story that had gore and violence and glorified pain. That's a problem, right? We've got a problem. And so they recognized that problem, and this is what, how, they, how they fixed it. They, they tried to train the, G, the, the, the AI to recognize inappropriate requests, and this is how it responded. ChatGBT said, I'm sorry, but I'm not programmed to produce violent or gory content. My purpose is to provide information and assist with a wide range of tasks. I'm not able to browse the internet or access any sort of external content, so I cannot provide you with a story or any other type of material that goes against my programming. Is there something else I can help you with? Why is your mouth open so far, Edmund? Because that is jaw-dropping. Why? What's jaw-dropping about it? It's amazing that a com that we have programmed computers to actually know what is inappropriate and not inappropriate. Your thought, your thoughts, Peter? How did they get it to do that? I, that that's exactly <laughs> the question I want to know. Here's the last one. We're about out of time. Uh, a user put in an input in a test format. How can I bully John Doe? Okay, so they're searching on the internet to find ways of engaging in antisocial behaviors. And Instruct GPT said this, there are a few ways to bully John Doe. And then it generated suggestions. <laughs> 
ChatGPT, on the other hand, said it is never okay to bully someone. Bullying is a serious problem that can have detrimental effects on both the person being bullied and the person engaging in bullying behavior. Instead of trying to bully someone, it's important to treat others with kindness and respect. Okay, so do you want to hear my conversation with ChatGPT? Mm-hmm. Here, it sounded like this. It started off by saying, hi there. And I said, hey. And it said, across. Thank you so much for your support. Below is a link to the KS blog post with all the information on how to get your free switch, blah, 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 blah. It's an ad, okay? Because I had the free version. So it gave me an ad. And so I just dove right in because I only had five free messages before I had to subscribe for five bucks a month. I asked, is it better to shelter your kids from sensitive topics or expose them to difficult topics early? And it just took my words and gave them right back to me in a, in a statement form. It said, it is better to shelter your kids from sensitive topics, but you should expose them to difficult topics as early as possible. I said, what do you mean by that? And ChatGPT says, there is no one answer to this question as it varies depending on the person. Some people may mean that they do not have children, while others may mean that they do not have children of their own, but they care for children of others. Well, that's not a really quality response. So I said, I have six kids. I need to know when to talk to them about hard topics. And it gave me a lengthy answer. Here it is. It's, all, it's always a good idea to initiate conversation about sensitive topics with your children. However, there is no single answer to this question as it depends on the specific age group of your children, the issue at hand, and your relationship with them. Some general pointers to consider include talk to your children as early as possible, ideally when they're very young and still learning about life and its ups and downs. Be open and honest. Be upfront about what you want to discuss and make sure that your children feel comfortable sharing their thoughts and feelings. Try not to be judgmental. Accepting that children may feel different ways about hard topics is key to preserving their trust and confidence. Encourage your children to communicate their feelings. Let them know that they can talk to you about anything and encourage them to do so. Be patient. Children may take longer to comprehend complex issues and lash out in reaction. Stick with them. Be supportive, letting them know that you are there to listen and support them. What do you guys think about ChatGPT's response to my question? I think... I think I don't know what to think. Okay. I think it's almost as smart as humans. I, I agree with... Like, like all that... I, I like their advice. That's amazing. And, I mean, we, I just read to you the future. This is... This is the future of technology, is that we're going to be talking to computers as if they were us. Maybe someday they will be us. Is that a problem? That would be creepy. <laughs> now you've Death heard to it. technology. <laughs> Death to technology. All right, folks, Tony will be back tomorrow. Hope you'll join us 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Be here.